Welcome back to another episode of Being at Work. I'm your host, Andrea Butcher, and I'm, oh my goodness, I'm blown away by the conversation today. I've learned so much and I have so many insights. As our guest has such an important and irrelevant message for all leaders. She was the target of gaslighting and bullying in the workplace, and she stayed for far too long. Her spirit of perseverance kept telling her that she should be able to put up with it, and it took its toll. Mita Malik is the head of inclusion, equity, and impact at Carta, and a regular contributor to Harvard Business Review and Fast Company. But what you really need to know about Mita is the healing process that she led through following this challenging time. Listen in as we talk about her healing, the great awakening, as she calls it, and how to navigate toxic cultures and toxic bosses. Check it out. Today's conversation is part of my journey to heal. My journey starts, I'm the proud daughter of Indian immigrant parents. My younger brother and I were born and raised outside of Boston, and I was the funny-looking, dark-skinned girl with the long, funny-looking braid. I always say whose parents spoke funny English until it wasn't funny anymore, and I was bullied a lot, both verbally and physically growing up. I was, was clear by my peers every day that I did not belong in that community. And so that drove me for a lot of my life. It always stayed with me. I never wanted anyone to have that experience. And so that's really why I do this work. I do it for the little girl that's inside me, the younger version of myself. I also do it for my kids and all of our kids. Well, I'm so sorry for her. I can I can feel that. And I I can't imagine what that must have been like for you. It was really difficult, but you know, those things make you stronger. And that's really fueled me. So I as much as there was pain, there's a lot of strength in that to say, wow, if I can share what's happened to me growing up, what happened to me in my career and at work, it's going to inspire someone to share their story and Stories inspire change. Well, and especially when, I mean, you you are someone that someone would look at and say naturally, wow, like she's so successful. She's published articles for Harvard Business Review and Fast Company. And so what impact does that have on you telling this story? I mean, you, ha- you have a platform. You have an audience. You have people that are listening to your story. Well, I have nothing to lose and everything to gain right now in my life. And so it's all about if I can help others. And you're right. I always say, I'll catch myself. I'll say I'm lucky. And then a good friend will say, no, you're not lucky. You earned it. Yeah. You've worked really hard. I've worked really hard, but there's always that inner voice that wanting to downplay my accomplishments or even dismiss. No, no, I'm lucky. No, I've earned it. And so now that I've earned this, I have a responsibility don't we all, when we feel comfortable in our skin and what we've experienced to share that. And so that's really what I feel really strongly about right now. I'm not going to be silenced anymore. So you experienced bullying growing up as a little girl. And then in the workplace, you experienced those same kinds of behaviors. Context was different. I'm sure it showed up a bit differently, but it was bullying nonetheless. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting is I never, I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared that those bullies from the schoolyard and classrooms would follow me into corporate America. And that's also why I started my own podcast, Andrea, that we'll talk about, which is called Brown Table Talk with Dee Marshall, where we're really talking about stories and tips on how women of color can not just survive, but thrive in their organizations and allies. What can they do to help and step up? 
And so I'm an alumni of Duke, the Fuqua School of Business. And I was last year there speaking. Someone asked me, what did graduate school not prepare you for? I said, it didn't prepare me for the microaggressions, the gaslighting, the bullying, because I left graduate school being like, the, the world is my oyster. I have everything to give. I have everything to gain. And I didn't prepare me, didn't prepare me for what the workforce would be like, for who I showed up as. You have such an important message because when you shared the story, one of the things you, you said is you stayed far too long. And so I'm grateful that you're here today because I'd love to dive into that because no doubt, Mita, there are so many people listening to this that can relate to that and are in similar situations and they're feeling some of the things that you felt that kept you in it for too long. So please tell us a little bit more about that. The article I wrote for HBR was a piece I'd been writing in my head for a long time, which was what to do when the boss is gaslighting the employee. And it was a really call, a call to action for leaders. Because Andrea, what I say is I've been through all these things. We all have been through a lot of things in our life and we have stories to share. But especially, what would I want someone to have done for me differently? Like how could have someone have shown up for me? How could have an ally shown up for me? And so I was in a really toxic work relationship with the former boss who was gaslighting me and bullying me and actually ended up being a situation which I talk about in our podcast, like going from the office pet to the office threat, which is a term that has been well-researched and documented that Black women experience. And so I did not coin that term, but as a Brown woman, it's something that I really resonated with, that this was somebody who I was the pet for a while. And then all of a sudden I became a threat when the gaslighting occurred. Talk about that transition, like over a period of time and how did you perceive that transition? I mean, is, is there a time when you started realizing like, oh my gosh, this is starting to happen? Like talk through that a bit more. I think it was through all the actions. I'll never forget. I was asked to present on stage by this individual, 200 leaders, huge company event. And you know, when you've killed it, the CEO comes up to you, people come up to you and they're specifically like, that was an amazing presentation. And a week later, I'm in the former boss's office and this individual says to me, the first thing he says when I sit down, you know, you're not supposed to be that good. You know, at your level, you're not supposed to be that good. And so that was a real gut punch because you think, wait, is that a compliment? Is it not? Did I do something wrong? And so slowly over time, those things started showing up more and more. And what we know about gaslighting is a lot of it is happening behind the scenes. You can certainly look out for signs for it. But what is gaslighting? It's really a form of psychological abuse where an individual tries to gain control over you, manipulate you. This was a, a term coined in the 1970s. I did not coin it. But I think when I wrote the piece, Andrea, for HBR and finally spoke my truth, I was just astounded by how many people reached out to me to say, this has happened to me. Like, I wrote that selfishly to heal, but I also wrote it thinking, I don't want this to ever happen to someone else again. So if, any, if a leader reads this, what could they do? But the gaslighting is, you know, leaders who, in my case, will manipulate, lie to you, intentionally set you up to fail, say things happened, and then later deny them. And Andrea, it would be something along the lines of this, very clearly, if we were sitting next to each other right now on this podcast, and I slapped you across the face. And you said to me, well, Mita, why did you just slap me across the face? And I looked at you straight in the eye. And I said, I didn't slap you across the face. That didn't happen. 
And so imagine that happening over and over again. It happens a lot in personal relationships. And what I wanted to share is how it shows up at work. There's so much in that. I have so many questions for you. These behaviors, really poor leadership. And it sounds like they come from a place of insecurity and fear. Given all of the work that you've done on gaslighting, what do you know to be true about the gaslighting leader? I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, so I don't know. That's a loaded question. But what I would tell you is hurt people hurt people. And that's not a saying I came up with, but when you see people act this way, you have to ask what is going on in that person's life that they show up this way and behave this way. They can often be narcissists. They can often lack empathy or understanding. They can be selfish and cruel and unkind and mean, all of those things. I don't know if I know any one thing to be true. I do know that some of the things I've, I've observed, especially in my case, is that where there's smoke, there's fire. So definitely a pattern that I wasn't the first person that this had been done to. Very adept at isolating the target and very adept at gaining control over you and the situation so they could continue to do it and exert power over you. Well, and if you think about traditional leadership being in position of power, you can see how gaslighting would become more prevalent as we are empowering more so. And so leaders who are losing power are going to feel very threatened by that. Like, oh, shit, she was really good. She's going to take my place on stage. Absolutely. Although you asked me to be on stage. So the irony of that, like you were the one who said you have to do this. So it is actually what you're saying, the opposite of servant leadership, which I try to practice and try really hard is that my team doesn't report into me. I report into them that we are one team. And so there has to be a lot of humility in that to say that, yeah, and listen, I'm not fooling myself. I know that there's power dynamics in organizations, but how you show up for people as a leader versus you report into me, the pyramid versus the circle. We're all trying to make impact for the organization together. And guess what? Here's the difference. When someone on my team shines on stage, I shine. When you shine, I shine. So there's no, and I've gotten, there's no threat. My team does amazing work and it brings me, it sparks so much joy and it brings me so much joy. Because of the connection you have with them, right? Because of the relationships you have. Yeah. I think, gosh, well, hopefully I played a small part in coaching them, right? And that, that also reflects on my leadership that I'm able to bring in great talent and help them fly and help them soar. And that's the ultimate you know, job of a leader. Yeah, you care about them. And so, of course, you would celebrate that. Now, going back to this gaslighting situation, I mean, it sounds like, because you corrected me and said um, that he asked you to be on stage. So that's the manipulative bit, isn't it? It sounds like outwardly, outwardly, he was very much supportive of you. And I asked Mita to be on stage. But then in his threatened stance, he was like, oh, you can't be that good. And that is actually a theme throughout the course of what happened with the gaslighting, exactly what you said. It would be publicly being supportive of me in these moments, but then privately saying things like, you're lucky I gave you a job. No one would ever hire you in this organization. I heard you're talking to other people about rotating and moving. You better be careful. You better watch it. Versus what he might say to you as a peer after, oh my God, he was amazing. 
She's on track to be a VP and more. And so the outwardly, you wouldn't know, right? You wouldn't know as a peer of his, you would think, oh, right. This person's a real champion for her, a real advocate for her. It would also show up in many other ways, which we can get into. But one of the ways that it would show up was that I would create proposals or recommendations like we all do in our jobs, and I'd be scrambling to get them done. And I would say, I'd love to come to the meeting to present. And he would say, of course, you're going to present. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I want you to come. And I would wait for the invite. I would text. I would call. And it would never come. And so you start to be paranoid. You're like, it's not on my calendar. Did I miss it? What's going on? And I opened the HBR piece with a senior leader who says, well, I heard you were out, so you couldn't present it. But it was it was really well done and look forward to catching up. And I was like, I wasn't out. I was here. He just lied. Lied. And then when I would meet with him and say, oh, I thought you would wanted me to present. No, I didn't need you to present. And you're like, what? what? And so you start to feel like, you're like, what is happening here? And it, and exactly with the, Andrea, the example of me slapping you across the face, it could be video recorded and I would still deny it, right? And so even if I had emails or had taken notes and I was like, but that's not what he said. And if I tried to confront him, it would just be this whole denial. Yeah. I mean, just the how crazy you must have felt on the inside. Because I would be like, well, did she slap me? I could have sworn she slapped me. I feel something. What is that? Is that is that me? Am I creating that? Oh my gosh. So that must have just torn you up inside. What was the impact of that on you? It was horrible. I lost my dad during this period as well, really suddenly. And so I think, and that took me a while to heal and I'm still healing from that, but that individual knew that and took advantage of that. Because um, when you lose someone suddenly that you love and you're so close to, you it rocks your entire world. So you're unsure about everything. So that person also used that to their advantage. And so that's also when you get back to the, why did I stay so long? My confidence was shattered. I actually believed this person that I wouldn't get another job, that I wouldn't do anything else, that this was what I was supposed to be doing. I also you know, was talking to someone about this earlier too, is that there is this expectations of, you know, being the child of immigrant parents and like what is culturally acceptable. You would never leave your job because somebody was giving you a hard time, right? It's this like, you know, my parents came to this country with nothing and built everything they have. So they went through all that. So you start to compare the pain, which is the wrong thing to do. But for me, it was like, I was just never going to quit. And I will tell you, when I had the courage to tell people what was happening and I said the things out loud that I finally had the courage to say, I had individuals say to me, I think you're being too sensitive. You need to toughen up. Are you sure this is actually happening? And then also just stop complaining and quit or confront him. This is why are you letting him treat you this way? But what I will say to you is in many organizations where there is that power dynamic, what are you to do? when the boss is gaslighting the employee and you are the employee. Yeah. I mean, the the deck is stacked against you, isn't it? I mean, you've got the all these environmental factors. You know, as you were saying that, I was thinking of just all of the messages, even in environment right now, like, you've got this, keep going, head up, work hard. It's like this persistence attitude. Yeah. At what point do you have to say, like, this is not healthy for me? This like stick to is not serving me well. I mean, for me, it was finally 
on a Saturday evening at 11 p.m. when I'm working for this individual, which was common. And it was a long story, but called and screamed at me and railed at me. And it was just, you know, it had built up, right? And I just broke down and I was like, I can't, you know, and that's sort of the the impetus, which finally got me to leave. Yeah, because what I, what I want to say right now, I'm just going to say it because <laughs> we're going to talk through this. This is why we're doing this, right? We're, we're addressing tough issues, but like what an asshole, you know? I feel so much for you. I feel pissed for you that he would do those things to you. The coach and leadership development facilitator in me like really wants to understand why is he leading that way and how can we help him through that and all the other leaders who do those really shitty kinds of behaviors. And two things I'll respond is while you feel pissed, I feel a lot of shame. And I feel a lot of anger and I feel a lot of sadness and hurt. I feel disappointment in myself. And I think anyone who's been the victim of gaslighting and bullying will tell you that, right? There's still a part of me when I came on to have this conversation, I feel shame that I'm talking about it. Like I should have been better than that. How did I let someone do that to me? But this is how many of our structures are set up. And when you mention this individual, they're still there in their organization. They are being protected, right? And so that's also the interesting conversation with not what I'm calling the great resignation, but the great awakening. People are walking out and saying, we're just not going to tolerate this anymore. They're not going to tolerate toxic bosses and abusive cultures and where they're not respected, where they don't feel seen, valued, and heard. It's years and years and decades of pent up emotion. But this is the time, right? This is the time. I mean, never have we ever talked more about the toxic cultures and the impact of a toxic culture. And employees hold the power right now in this market and are not putting up with those kinds of behaviors. Thank you for saying that. You know, I want to just hold space for all of the victims of gaslighting and bullying and assault and really horrible behaviors in the workplace. Like the shame that you feel and the, the awfulness of that. You were talking about you had a lot of trauma through this time. You lost your father unexpectedly. So it's almost like on top of a really awful time was dumped really awful things on top of you. And you've talked about how this was such a period of healing. And just yesterday, Mita, I, um, you know, in preparation and thinking about this conversation, I've just been, I've been thinking a lot about healing and How does healing happen? And I want to read something to you that I came across just yesterday that I think is going to resonate. You can hear the emotion in my voice. You're going to make me cry, Andrea. Oh, geez. (laughs) This is so good. This is so good. Healing is not about being happy. Healing is about being awake. And you said the great awakening. Healing is about being awake. It's about being broken and whole at the same time. Isn't that so good? It's so good. And I will add, you can't sometimes heal in the place that hurt you. That was beautiful what you just shared. So the Saturday night conversation was really awful. Was that like a tipping point for you when you realized like this is this is not going to work for me? It was a tipping point. It had been for a while. And my family intervened and said, why are you still like you, you've got to move on? And there was more to the story as well. Basically, Speaking of gaslighting, being thrown under the bus for something that I that was not my mistake, that that was also sort of it had been the pattern of the relationship. And then when I confronted that individual, saying you screamed at me, you yelled at me, 
you said this was all my fault. You said I made the mistake. Then it was later denied. I mean, it was just because you cannot rationalize with somebody who is gaslighting you, right? It's just, that's what also makes it even more difficult. There's no, there's no rationalizing. So what's the solution then? How do we evolve and get better with those behaviors being tolerated? I think, you know, one of the things I talk about really broadly right now is holding people accountable. In my case, this is not an isolated incident. And when you asked me about what do gaslighters have in common, bullies have in common, I wasn't the first or the last target. And so the question is, for one individual, you are willing to lose how many people? You are willing to let how many people walk out the door to protect one individual who is toxic? And that toxicity is seeping into the culture and and people can't take it anymore. So those are real challenges that companies are facing to say, I'm not going to protect this person anymore. And I'm also to your, to what we talked about earlier is like, believe me, believe them when they come over, because the fact that oftentimes I wasn't believed is really difficult. And listen, gaslighting isn't illegal. Bullying from a U.S. perspective is becoming legal, illegal potentially in some states. But this is also really difficult. But this comes back to what you do every day. It's like coaching what good leadership looks like. What does that mean? And, you know, it's not for me to judge. I am still healing from my experience, but people do. People deserve second chances. So if that person can be healed and someone can coach and help, that's the other thing that you just brought up that happens is that, like, if you are going to allow this person to stay, what are you doing to help them? Or what are they doing to help themselves? Because likely they need therapy and counseling. Yes, exactly. Well, and, and a safe place to talk through. I mean, you said hurt people, hurt hurt people. A place to talk through their hurts and process that and resolve that. And But that, that takes courage and it takes willingness. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Every, every time I get a call, I just, I got one earlier today from, from a, a head of an organization who has an executive team member that he, he wants to, he sees potential, but there are just these really inappropriate behaviors. The number one question is always like, is there willingness there? Is he wanting a coach? Because if, if not, it's not going to be easy to talk him into it. You know, the question too is like, how many, how many people can this person hurt before you say you need to go heal somewhere else? We can't have you heal here. Or for you to say this, you're gonna, you need to go take a sabbatical. You need to do these five things before we even consider you coming back and joining our executive team again. I think the other thing, so we talked about the coachability. The, the other thing is just the, when I have had conversations with leaders that I would consider, they're just behaviors that are toxic. They're demonstrating, let's, let's talk about the behavior and not the person, right? They're demonstrating toxic behaviors. What I have seen over and over is how quickly they can rationalize those behaviors. And so the empathy conversation right now is such an important one because only until they are able to empathize with the feelings that come as a result of those behaviors, it's really easy to rationalize them. With comments like the things you heard, oh, that person's too sensitive. They need to like stop taking the bait and just step over it and keep going. And when you talk about these toxic behaviors from leaders, they're often things that they've either lived through personally or professionally, and they exhibit them. Public humiliation being one of them, 
or throwing your team under the bus for mistakes that were your own. It's interesting. Where do, where do people learn those things? It's likely that when they were junior in their career, somebody did that to them or something happened to them when they were younger, earlier in their career. And it doesn't always have to be at work because we know work and life are not separate. I'm showing up as who I am to work and I'm showing up as all of me, whether sometimes I resist that or not. So my behaviors come through as well. My learned behavior. We lead from the essence of who we are as a person. And unfortunately for so many leaders, that persona has come as a result of what they have seen. And so maybe it's not who they want to be, but we all have a choice. Well, the work you are doing is so important. Your story resonates with so many, resonates with me. I'm so grateful for you. So you you referenced your podcast earlier. So our podcast that DC Marshall and I co-host is called The Brown Table Talk. It's available on Apple and Spotify. And so please, if you like it, review and rate. And more importantly, share it with someone in your life who could use community and conversation. Because a lot of the stories we're talking about, like Andrea, you and I are talking about today, gaslighting, are stories that you know we don't say the quiet parts out loud, parts that are really painful. And so to say that out loud, to say, wow, we are today, we are today. And I love storytelling. I don't have any hobbies except for my kids. And so I also write in my spare time. And so I have continued to be a contributor for Harvard Business Review, an entrepreneur where I profile founders of color and their journeys and fast company. And I love LinkedIn. I spend too much time on it. It's my only only social media platform. You can follow me there as well. Oh, I love the content you put out. It's so inspiring and it's the tough stuff. You are highlighting the, the tough things that need to be talked about. Well, it's the messy part of the journey. It's really easy for me to post a really nice photo of me. And yeah, I'll do that from time to time. But you asked me at the beginning, you said, well, you're so successful. This is all the stuff that people don't talk about. It's easier to talk about my success. So I write here, I do this, but it hasn't always been that way. And our journeys are ups and downs. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story. 